So if you'd like to grab a snack or a drink or whatnot, feel free. You can uh, ask if you have any additional questions. I have a stack here, and I just want to preface it by saying uh, please forgive me if I do not get to every single question. I've tried to combine them. I know that there were uh, several questions on uh, the subject of evolution, and I, we know that he addressed that during the first Q&A, and if you want to, you can feel free to ask him about that. And so there are other questions. I hope that we will be able to get to them. Uh, once again, I want to, uh, just before our Q&A as well, to uh, just uh, let you know what a privilege it has been to have Hank Hanegraaff as our speaker. It's also been a delight to have his son, Xander, if you have not met him, he is one of the, uh, he is one of the, uh, friendliest, uh, uh, boys that, uh, has, uh, come to be our guest. In fact, it was funny this morning. There was a prayer request in our prayer circle from someone who said, well, pray for me. You know, I've got some Bible questions I'd like to have, uh, you know, I have to answer to people and please give me wisdom. And I, and I joked with him and I said, oh, you're like the, uh, Bible Answer Man Jr., to which uh, Xander said, as he raised his arms and winced, and he said, no, I, I'm the Bible Answer Man Jr. <laughs> so we're looking for a uh, budding young theologian, and I hope that you'll thank him for coming as well. He is having a wonderful time and making some new friends, and I hope that you'll also uh, be able to um, appreciate him as well as Hank. So we'd like to extend our appreciation to Hank if he would uh, come on up here, and uh, we have a, a gift that we would like to uh, give to him, and uh, we're so grateful for your ministry, Hank, for uh, teaching teaching us, for warning us, for encouraging us, and for answering the many questions that we have had. I know that uh, some have even uh, hounded you during meal times and free times and followed you around. You have a number of, of uh, fans now that uh, have come. And wasn't it wonderful that we have had that opportunity to have these questions answered. So uh, we want to say thank you very, very much. And thank you to your family and to your wife for allowing you to come. We know it's not easy on your family to be away from uh, all of them. So we have a, a gift here, a, a card that we'd like to give to you. And I found this uh, wonderful book we'd like to give to you called Christianity in Crisis. <laughs> It seems to address everything you've been talking about this weekend. And I'll tell you, it's free. We won't charge you. I want to encourage you to pick up a copy as well. Christianity in Crisis, he began in 1993 when he first published it. I picked up a copy then. I've looked at it time and time again. I've lent it out. I've used illustrations from it because it's important for you to know the names of these individuals who are the health, wealth, prosperity, gospel teachers. Because you know what? I've met people, like I've shared, people who have been through Bible school, people who have been involved in my life, who are listening to some of these people and say, you know what? I really like Joyce Meyer. I really have been. And they promote them without really 
knowing what they are teaching. And so I hope that you'll uh, attune yourself to a number of these folks, uh, pick up a copy of that particular book, if any of them, and the Christian Research Journal, which we gave copies to uh, Michael and Penny, are exceedingly helpful because they, uh, they, they, they tell you from a very scholarly standpoint, and they document it very well. It's not just somebody's opinion. They document it very well because they have to protect themselves and be factual. And so it's very well researched. And it's not just articles by Hank. It's articles that are submitted from others uh, from outside and by his staff. And they address very relevant issues from Lady Gaga to the, <laughs> to, you know, the movies that come out, some of the philosophies behind them. It was the only journal I kept on subscribing to, paid, aside from, you know, receiving the Master Seminary Journal uh, that I continued to get. I found it very helpful to tune myself to that. So we want to give you a uh, warm thank you very much from behalf of our church. And now we have a bunch of questions we want to stump you with. May I say just a, a, a couple of things uh, before uh, you ask me any more questions? Um, one of the, uh, the questions I have been asked a few times by a number of people, I think, warrants some further discussion. Um, and, and if I could do that very quickly, I'd appreciate it. Um, uh, several people have asked me uh, the question, which is in essence, if uh, Roman Catholicism is not a cult, why was the Reformation even necessary? And um, remember that prior to the Reformation, uh, God still had his people. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church, but the church had gone into a very dark time. There was a crass and carnal monk named uh, Johann Tetzel, and some of you may remember you know, his catchy couplet, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. And so he, he sold indulgences. And, uh, of course, that was a way of uh, funding the papal projects as well as uh, also enhancing his own very luxurious lifestyle. Well, Martin Luther came to a point where he simply could not abide it any longer, and so he nailed 95 theses on the castle door in Wittenberg, and a mighty reformation was spawned. But again, the fact that a reformation was needed is not a suggestion that this was a cult. I mean, we can say that a mighty reformation is needed within the Protestant church. But I don't think any one of us wants to call the Protestant church a cult. Um, also, I think it's instructive to repeat something that I said earlier. And that is, while I do not agree with Roman Catholic soteriology... It is not from the perspective of its official declaration a crass system of works righteousness. We as evangelicals, I think, say it correctly. Uh, we say that we're saved by God's grace through faith on account of Jesus Christ alone. I think that's right. I think that's biblical. I think that's a main and plain thing of the historic Christian faith. I think it's an essential Roman Catholics, uh, in terms of official Roman Catholic soteriology, say it this way. 
They say that we are saved by God's grace alone, but that grace produces in the life of the believer faith infused with works, and those works are meritorious. Now, do I think that is wrong? Yes. Do I think that it is a crass system of works righteousness? No. Now, taking it one step further, do I think that most Roman Catholics believe in a crass system of works righteousness? Yes. But it is also true and proper to say that most Protestants today believe in a crass system of works righteousness. So we, by virtue of that, are not going to call Protestants a cult. And I don't think by virtue that we should call Roman Catholicism a cult. That's my only point. So it's not a matter of being soft on Roman Catholicism. A lot of people, when I try to give a highly nuanced answer, uh, think that I'm compromising in some way. No, that's not my DNA. I don't want to compromise. Uh, but I also don't want to repel. I want to reach. And so if I mischaracterize official Roman Catholic theology on the radio or otherwise, people kind of are going to dispense with me and say, well, he doesn't really know what the official Roman Catholic position is. And that's the reason that I communicated in this way, yes. Um, I think that's, yeah, good to know the official doctrine. Um, and I think, you know, um, to be sensitive and loving towards Catholics or people of any other religion, I think that's very important to be Christ-like as we talk with them. Um, I think that for myself, as I think about Catholicism, um, there's some dear people that are Catholics, and and yet the adding of the apocrypha to God's word um, goes in direct opposition to what God's word tells us to do. Yes. And so that, to me, you know, brings it to another level, not just their official statement of faith, but the adding to the canon of scripture and then also um, um, elevating the Pope to a, a position that uh, if he speaks ex cathedra, that he is... is Above doctrine, uh, above scripture, and that that um, it's divine revelation, as it were. It's divine revelation, and and so um, that, and then coupled with praying to um, to saints who are only human, or Mary, um, is definitely a misconception of of our, the nature of. Us as humans, we are not gods, and the saints and Mary were not gods, and so why are you praying to them? And then, in addition, the sacraments, um, they don't know where they stand. They don't have that assurance of salvation, oftentimes, because they they think that they need to do these things. So, for me, um, I agree that... um, Protestant Christians can be criticized with a lot of things. You know, there's a lot of error and a lot of things going on. But to me, just because that's the case doesn't mean that something else, if they have, you know, things wrong with it, that doesn't mean to me that that it makes it better or, you know, whatnot. So I guess those would be my additional 
thoughts about that? Yeah, first of all, let me say this, that that is beautifully stated, and I agree with everything that you said. Uh, so there's no disagreement there whatsoever. Um, I think it was eloquent, I think it was precise, I think it's correct, and there, 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 there is no um, argument from me in terms of what you communicated and how you communicated it. Um, however, that still does not make Roman Catholicism a cult. Any more than, and I, I just opened my Bible to this because I'd written this down, um, the idea that modern society cannot embrace concepts that have been repudiated in the age of scientific enlightenment. That might be a way of talking about liberalism. Um, liberalism in the Protestant church has dispensed with the virgin birth, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, the infallibility of scripture. In other words, in liberal circles, the idea is the Bible has to be demythologized. Now that, I think, is as egregious as everything that you just now said with respect to Roman Catholicism. And yet, Roman Catholicism does not do this by and large. Liberal Protestantism does. So again, my point is simply to say, I do not want to append the word cult to liberal Protestantism, and I don't want to append that word to Roman Catholicism, but I do want to do precisely what you did. Take step by step, precept by precept, and say it is wrong to believe that the Pope, when he speaks ex cathedra from the chair, that his words take on the weight of divine revelation. It is wrong to believe in purgatory. It is wrong to believe in limbo. In fact, some of uh, uh, the papal uh, annunciations of, uh, of late have uh, said that very thing, <laughs> that, that it's wrong to believe in limbo. Uh, but... Uh, that's another story. Uh, it is wrong to pray to the saints. So I think you can, uh, their soteriology is wrong. Most Catholics believe in a crass system of worship. All of those things, I think to take them step by step and to, to deal with them and to say that these things encroach upon the very heart of the gospel. All of that is right to say. But I don't think it is right to append the word cult to Roman Catholicism. I think that it is it, 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 it never is helpful to do that. I think it's helpful to, to deal with each one uh, of these issues. Uh, I call Mormonism a cult because it is a group of people with their own indigenous culture that claim to be Christian but then they come out of Christianity, use our terminology, and they pour their own meaning into the language. It, it, it is a word that has a restricted definitional uh, rubric. And, and I don't think that that fits well with Roman Catholicism. I don't think that it fits right with Protestantism that has gone liberal. But you think that I have, I mean, I probably have more... 
difficulty with someone getting rid of the resurrection, that's the centerpiece of the Christian faith. Roman Catholicism is vigilant with respect to resurrection. Roman Catholicism is vigilant with respect to incarnation. Um, But again, I think that the issue at hand here, and and this is a matter that we we, we may want to just agree to disagree on agreeably, but I, I think the matter at hand here is a matter of categorization. Um, so what, what, what label do I put on something? I think that's, that, that's what the issue at hand is. Would it be helpful, sir, if uh, you uh, helped us to define what the difference is between a world religion, like Islam or Buddhism, and a cult like Jehovah's Witness, and how does one define what is what? Yeah, um, well, again, these are categories. Right. I mean, there are categories and words are used for those categories. The problem with this, and, and, and this is a problem that we find over and over again when we talk not only about categories like this, but also biblical words. Um, if you listen to the Bible Answer Man much, you'll hear me say that words are not univocal. Words are equivocal. They take on the meaning uh, that 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 the context allows them to have. Uh, so I can talk about justification in terms of Paul's description of justification in Romans, and I can talk about justification as James uses the language in James, and they are talking about two different things because they're using the words in a different way. Uh, not that James denies justification by faith alone, but they are using the words in a different way. So James can say a man is justified by what he does. Uh, it, it takes some explaining, doesn't it? It takes some understanding. I can use the word can just to take a, a simple uh, example, and I can use it in a lot of different ways. I can say I can do something in the sense that I'm able to do something. I can say I just ate a can of tuna. I can say that guy got thrown into the can or I just went to the can. Uh, you know, so, 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 you know, the problem here with words and phrases is that they, they take on the meaning uh, that, 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 that the context allows them to have. And, and the reason I don't even like to use the word cult, and I hesitate to use the word cult in most venues, most public venues, uh, with even Mormonism, and it is for the reason that I communicated earlier on in one of my talks. It is because when you say cult, the average person does not distinguish between a cult from a sociological perspective and a cult from a theological perspective. So when you use that word, people lump you into a particular category like Jim Jones or, or, or like the Heaven's Gate cult. And, um, and so the word, because of its usage in modern vernacular, has taken on all kinds of barnacles. It's taken on the barnacles of time. It no longer has a denotative meaning. It has a very connotative meaning. And, and so I don't like to use that word. So maybe, maybe, maybe that's helpful. Well, I hear, well, I hear, I hear it's because the term itself is inflammatory. Yes. Yes. 
Yes, and because it's inflammatory, what, what, what happens is it's a, it, it's a conversation stopper. I'd rather deal as you did, so eloquently and kindly. I'd like to deal with each one of these subjects as they come up. So if someone uh, brings up Roman Catholicism and asks me my opinion, rather than saying this is a cult, I'll say, well, here's where I have difficulty with Roman Catholicism. And I will go through pretty much the litany that you just went through. Um, and, and I'll say, you know, drawn to its logical conclusion, purgatory denies the sufficiency of Christ's atonement on the cross. The Pope being able to speak ex cathedra, big, big problem, here's why. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church rides two horses. They ride tradition and scripture. We say no, there's only one horse, sola scriptura. Everything ultimately has to be judged in light of the final court of arbitration, which is the Word of God. So that's kind of the way that I think, in my experience, and I am not infallible myself, but in my experience over many years of dealing with Roman Catholics, I felt that I've had the opportunity to reach them in that manner as opposed to, you know, create a barrier where we have a conversation stopper. Maybe we should... uh move to some of the questions we have here in the stack. I have uh, many of them for you. Uh, One is a general one. What are your greatest concerns for the church having heard many questions from various parts of the country from, uh, you know, Canada, the U.S., internationally? What are your greatest concerns and what is the most common type of question that you receive? Well, my, my greatest concern... Um, is is biblical illiteracy. Uh, It it is is the concern, as far as I'm concerned. Um, The problem is that we no longer live in the pages of the Bible. We live in the shadow of the Bible. We are still benefiting from a biblical worldview in the West. But most people don't know the residual benefits come from a biblical worldview. The very matter of equality came out of a biblical worldview. Uh, Aristotle had slaves, as did Plato, as did Mohammed. The Christian ethic was what brought down slavery in the West because we believe that from a biblical perspective there is no such thing as race except to run the race. We're just all people. In the evolutionary paradigm, there are gradations of races. Uh, I quoted Darwin saying that the Caucasian race has beaten the Turkish hollow in the struggle for existence. Uh, His bulldog, Huxley, said that the average Negro would not be able to compete with the average white man in a contest which was determined by thoughts and not by bites. Talk about a racist statement. Um, In evolution, there is, by definition, a hierarchy of races. In the Christian ethic, there is no such thing as race. The point is simply saying that the Christian ethic has brought us everything from reason augmented by revelation 
to ingenuity, to science which came out of a Christian invention, the university, to equality. And we now think that it is the Christian church that is bigoted and racist if you listen to uh, the comments in, in, in the secular arena, in the media. And, and, and we no longer know how to defend the very things I just now articulated because we are biblically, by and large, illiterate. Now, when I say that I'm making a, a grandiose statement, I'm making a generalization, I've met people in this church. I will tell you, I've met some of the brightest people I've ever met in my life. And that is not hyperbole. I've talked to some people, I thought, wow. I wish I could uh, sit here for another hour and, and learn some more. Uh, so there are people who are not only bright and educated, but also very literate biblically. I, I talked to, I won't embarrass her, but I talked to a young lady this morning that had memorized the, the book of Proverbs in this church. I uh, was astounded. Uh, I remember uh, uh, going through that process myself and teaching a, a course called Your Memory in the Proverbs Keys for Successful Daily Living, where we taught people how to memorize Proverbs chapter 28 in and out of order by chapter and verse, and then taught them how to memorize the rest of the book of Proverbs using normally wasted time. Um, uh, so I, I know a little bit about memorizing Proverbs, and, and I thought, wow, that, that, that's quite an accomplishment. But a very kind, soft-spoken, understated person in this congregation uh, who is an example to me. Um, so uh, this, is a, uh, th- this is a generalization to say that the Christian church is by and large biblically illiterate. But I feel far more inclined uh, to, to build a lighthouse in the midst of the gathering storm. And the reason is, is that I don't have a fatalistic view of history. I believe that history does have ebbs and flows, that there are people, sometimes just individual people like Martin Luther, that spawn a mighty reformation. And I believe that can yet happen. Will it happen? I don't know. All I know is that uh, we're not called uh, to a fatalistic view uh, of the world. We are called to occupy and be fruitful while there is yet time. That means that I am now working hard so that I can provide uh, for uh, uh, an education for my son Xander, just as I've worked hard to provide uh, the funds for an education for my four kids that are in university right now. Um, and, and the other ones are in, are in Christian school. Uh, why? Because I believe that we don't know when Jesus Christ is going to return. We only know that he is going to return. And if I think he's going to return in the next ten years and it's all going to go to hell in a handbasket anyway, why work for uh, the eventuality of Xander going to university? Well, it's all going to be over by then anyway. I don't know that. All I know is that I have to prepare as though God's coming is a long ways off and be prepared as the Lord could come any moment. That's the ethic by which I need to live and, and, and we need to uh, uh, we, we need to prepare ourselves. The church needs to do what this church has done. I love what this conference has done. I've observed some wonderful things here. After I got done speaking, 
what happened in study groups. That's what needs to happen. Because what happens too often in the Christian church is we do the same thing that you see on television. You watch a news program, you see people starving in Somalia, you see an uprising in Syria, you see the imminent threat of nuclear war coming out of Israel vis-a-vis Iran, and then you have a commercial. And you never have an opportunity to think and process. So we are living in a soundbite generation and people no longer think. But what happened in the study group is people got together and they talked. Doesn't mean they have to agree with what the speaker said. It means that they now, they now cogitate, they now think. Doris, standing right there. She's asked me 173 questions. Um, but, but that's wonderful. And then, you know, I say something and she says, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, and then she says, I'm, I'm going to think about that tonight. I'll talk to you tomorrow. So I go, oh, boy. <laughs> you know, but that's wonderful. You know, that's wonderful. You know, the, the, the problem is we have kind of this, this false dichotomy between the clergy and the laity. You know, I'm, I'm a plain old lay, lay person myself. But because I do what I do, I'm kind of considered the hired gun, right? And, you know, if I say it, it's ex cathedra, right? <laughs> Straight from the... And, 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 and don't anybody question it. He is the Bible answer man. I mean, you know, when I first became president of the Christian Research Institute, I said, you know what, there is no way I'm going to call myself the Bible answer man. I'm not even a Bible answer man, much less the Bible answer man. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, that was the name of our program. So I keep correcting people when they call me the Bible answer man. I say, no, I'm not the Bible answer man. I'm the host of a program called the Bible answer man broadcast. Uh, but anyway, uh, leave it at that. Here's some questions, not from Doris. <laughs> Don't give her the microphone. What are your thoughts, and uh, I lump these together, uh, thoughts on Harold Camping, thoughts on the Hillsboro Baptist and the Florida Church burns the Quran, thoughts on the Harbinger, Isaiah 910, Bell selling book. Yeah, let me just, uh, in, in a general way, say selling, sophistry, sensationalism, not helpful. Uh, Harold Camping said in 1994, when September 6, 1994 comes, no one else will be saved. The end has come. Well, that didn't happen. He wrote a book about it. It didn't happen. And then, of course, we know what he's done in recent years. Uh, This is millennial madness. Uh, it It is emblematic of the fact that modern day prophets, just like Hananiah, are 100% wrong 100% of the time. And in the in the process, they end up dragging Christ's name through the mud. They're making prophecies, and those prophecies aren't fulfilled. And the idea in the minds of other people, people listening in from the periphery, is that if the prophets are wrong today, maybe the biblical prophets are wrong as well. So I think far better than trying to tail the pin on the, or pin the tail on the Antichrist, we're far better off 
uh, learning that the Bible has demonstrated itself to be divine as opposed to merely human in origin because the biblical prophecies have come to pass precisely as the prophets said that they would come to pass. So I, I, I fear that we are, we are uh, beset by, by prophecy pundits who, who specialize in sensationalism and sophistry. I remember, um, and this wasn't all that long ago, I wrote a book called The Millennium Bug Debugged. I don't know if any of you read that book. Uh, that book came out in 1999, one year before... Uh, the, the millennium bug was supposed to take down western civilization in fact all of civilization and I remember uh, writing that book and I, I still remember being on Hannity and Combs and both of them you know you got the guy from the left and you got the guy from the right both of them were teaming up against me on that show because they thought hey, you know, how, how can you say that this is not going to be a top 10 news story in the year 2000 well, the reason I could say it is I did my research I did my homework uh, James Dobson publicly said Hank Hanegraaff was going to have the blood of millions of people on his hands because he's causing complacency within the body of Christ after I wrote the Millennium Bug Debugged saying that this would not be even a top 10 news story in the year 2000 that this would not be a crisis um, to his credit and this in my mind makes him a Christian statement, statesman not only for that reason but for many others uh, when he was wrong, he apologized. And he didn't just do it pro- privately, he did it publicly. And I think that's to his credit. Uh, but nonetheless, Y2K was a great example of all those S's I just now mentioned. In fact, my whole book was alliterated. I don't remember all the S's, but it was alliterated around S's. And some of those S's were script torture, sophistry, sloppy journalism, sensationalism, and the like. I mean, there were Christian leaders saying that, you know, the banks were going to default because what would happen is that the bank doors were controlled uh, by computer chips, and those chips would malfunction, and therefore people that needed the money from the banks couldn't get into the banks and you know there's all kinds of stuff I said, well, yeah, I did a little research I heard all these stories by Christian leaders on Christian television and Christian radio I did a little research and I found out that the bank doors weren't even controlled by computer chips if there was a chip there it fell into someone's pocket uh, they were controlled by triply redundant hand wound mechanical timers Uh, So uh, there's a tremendous amount of sloppy journalism and sophistry and the secular media, the Christian uh, leaders, they all drank from the same trough. And as a result of that, we kind of look stupid along with everybody else. And my point here is that we should be leading the charge. We should be setting the table. Uh, We have the truth. We are the followers of the one who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, we are the ones exhorted by Paul, watch your life and doctrine closely. In other words, we are those that are the keepers of truth and the purveyors of truth to a society. So we shouldn't fall for those same things. It seems like the more we make, the less we can afford to give. School, house, car, vacations always seem to add up to more money. So we end up giving less and less. How do you give? Yeah, it's a, uh, a difficult dilemma. You know, we are a debtor nation, and we are 
of people drowning in debt ourselves. And, you know, we, we have to ultimately, I suppose, come to grips with whether or not the Bible is true here. Uh, can we really depend upon the arm of God as opposed to the arm of flesh? Why was tithing an Old Testament injunction? It was because, as Moses said, we give so that we may learn to revere the Lord our God always. And learning to revere the Lord our God always is an ongoing process as relevant today uh, in our epoch of time as it was in, in, in New Testament times and Old Testament times. So we give so that we can learn something. Tithing, Randy Alcorn said something that's always stuck in my mind. Tithing is the training wheels of giving. Tithing is not the end. Uh, tithing is simply a way by which you learn. It's kind of baby steps. It's like training wheels. It's like how you learn to ride the bike. And once you learn to ride the bike, then you, you, you recognize, wow, I cannot give the Lord. Uh, this is really true, that God has every detail of my life under control, that he, he knows every exigency that will befall me. What was the testimony that I heard last night at the campfire? I don't remember exactly what the testimony was, but I understand the essence of it. In God's providence, uh, through circumstances, a person who was devoted to a mission, um, because of God orchestrating events, was provided with, with more money for an exigency in her life than she could have made if she had been working that full year. Something like that. Um, and, I, and I listened to that and thought, wow, you know, that's, that's a, um, a great example. I, I know myself, I have made some really big mistakes here. And I look back at it and I think, wow, you know, you, you, you see that if I had been more faithful and listened more close, closely and t- attentively, I could have been saved from a world of hurt. But beyond that, I could have used that money in a far more productive way. So I am not your example. I am a fellow sojourner trying to learn these lessons, uh, even at 62, continuing to learn these lessons. So, you know, it's, a, it's an ongoing struggle, but the, the real struggle is to move from tithing or even moving up to tithing. Sometimes you have to take those baby steps. But move from that to the hilarious land of free will giving. Where, you know, uh, David said, who am I and who are these people that we're all to give so abundantly to build this, this temple? Uh, you know, and, and, and this was the kind of ethic that, uh, that the war generations that I talked about yesterday had. Uh, you, you know, they, they, they really believed that God would bless. And I, I, I know uh, great businessmen in this country. Um, uh, who have moved from giving 10% to giving 90%, and yet they can't outgive the Lord. The Lord keeps blessing them. Uh, you know, I think of Truett Cathy, uh, uh, you know, who, who started um, Chick fil A. I don't know if you have Chick fil A's in this part of the country. No. Uh, just a wonderful example of a man who was committed to the principles of God, and he just couldn't couldn't outgive the Lord. 
I uh, think of C. Davis Warehouser, you know, the Warehouser Lumber Company in, in this very area. And it's one of the largest landowners in the world. And, 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 and he couldn't outgive the Lord. You know, the Lord kept blessing him. And there are so many examples. Stanley Tam, I remember when I was a young Christian, listening to his, temp, uh, his testimony, he gave 90% of everything to the Lord. Uh, and, and the Lord kept blessing him and multiplying his Now, this is not a give-to-get scheme. That's not the idea. But it is a way to recognize that God is always faithful. He doesn't always give us our... Um, our wants, but he does meet all of our needs. So we have to reorient our thinking in this whole area of stewardship. Perhaps the last one here regarding uh, resources, suggestions on how to continue to develop our apologetic abilities and uh, our studies and things like that. Any particular programs or books, things like that you'd recommend? Well, you know, there are some some good places to go from an academic standpoint, uh, like Biola University, they get a great apologetics uh, program, and there are many others. But, uh, you know, from a personal standpoint, I mean, this has been my, my hot button, obviously. That's why I wrote um, uh, the books on origins that I've written. That's why I wrote Resurrection. That's why I wrote, uh, which I think is the crowning jewel of my personal writing career, Has God Spoken? Uh, memorable proofs for the Bible's divine inspiration. I think if somebody absorbs that, uh, they'll have a, um, you know, a, a great ability to deal with the salient issues that we're faced with in our culture. But, you know, I'm not the only author, obviously, that has done a lot of work in apologetics. Uh, uh, I think William Dembski, who's done wonderful work in the area of um, of origins, uh, you know, I think of uh, what my friend Lee Strobel has done with the case books. You know, the case for Christ, the case for faith, and uh, and so forth. Um, so God is raising up a whole new generation of apologists. I think of Sean McDowell, who was Josh McDowell's son. Uh, just a wonderful young apologist. He's doing a lot of writing for our journal these days. He's run, written some wonderful books. Um, uh, Many others uh, that I could mention. I, I probably shouldn't start listing names because I, I'm going to leave out uh, some important ones. Uh, Frank Turek. Uh, um, and a whole host of other apologists that are doing a wonderful job. So, um, you know, I, what, what I call equip.org and, and, and the journal that you so kindly uh, spoke about today, what I call those, those, those resources are safe zones. The one thing that you can be sure of is that if I recommend something and you find it on equip.org, it's going to be a credible resource. If you find it in the journal, these are credible people that are involved in the field of apologetics. Uh, we, we were very, very careful uh, that, that, that things get the good housekeeping seal of approval, if you will, that, that this is not uh, slop apologetics. You know, there's so much stuff that you read on the web that is just, I mean, coming from Christian sources, it's just frightening. Um, so, so if you go to equip.org, I think we, we put you in touch with, with all kinds of people. They don't work for us. They're not associated with us. Their ministries are their own ministries. But we feel that it is our responsibility to put you in touch with the people that are credible. I remember Lee Strobel coming on the broadcast. He's done this many times. He said, no one would have known about my case for Christ if you had not 
promoted it. When that book first came out, it didn't do very well. I started promoting that book, and we sold literally hundreds of thousands of that book. And that book now has sold, I mean, I'm kind of jealous, it's sold more books than I've ever sold. Um, but, 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 but it is a pleasure to be able to point people to other credible apologists, and that's what you'll find at Equip.org. As, as Pastor said, that's what you'll find in, in, in uh, the Christian uh, Research Journal as well. It's, a, it's an award-winning magazine that is focused not just on giving information. It's not a data dump uh, where, where we're just overwhelming people with information. What we're trying to do is complement the presentation of credible information with the way in which it is... Uh, it, 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 the way in which it's presented is presented with 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 uh, great graphics and pictures and and all of that to make it something that harmonizes both the presentation uh, and, and and the content. So uh, yeah, I, I would highly recommend that you you subscribe to the Christian Research Journal. You may not read every copy through cover to cover, but I'm sure you'll find one or two really important. Uh, Articles in each journal. Thanks again for the privilege of being here. God bless you.